0: In preparation for this morning, I was thinking about a conversation I had with my grandfather. Uh, my grandfather's uh, passed away a long time now, and uh, he was a great storyteller. And I remember once when I was a young kid, I asked him, I said, Grandpa, that's not what I called him, I'm just kind of embarrassed to call him the Chinese word, but I said to him, Grandpa, uh, I said, uh, why do Chinese people use chopsticks? Right? I don't know if you ever wondered that, but uh, I, I have. I mean, we, we grew up, I mean, if you, if you did not know how to use chopsticks, you went hungry. Right? Like, seriously, that's how we were trained, right? Like, that's, that's part of the training regiment, I guess, whatever. Um, and you know, my grandfather was a really, really great storyteller. And uh, one of the things that he told me about this, this inquiry about mine, because we'd used chopsticks for years and years and years, and I thought, this is kind of odd. My friends use knives and forks. We use chopsticks, right? And uh, so one of the things that he said to me was he said, look, uh, Chinese people uh, wanted to make sure that at the table, there was nothing that resembled articles of war. So forks and knives were were resembling weapons. And so as a result, they they wanted the meal to be a place of peace and a time where we could eat together and one another. Grandfather passed away, and uh, I found out from my parents that half the stories he told were not true. So uh, (laughs) that, amongst many other Asian myths about why chopsticks are used, are all over the Internet, and there's all over different types of things. And the reason I wanted to share that with you is because I feel like this series has been really good for us because for many of us, it's been a good review, going back to the Scriptures, looking at what exactly it is that we do, why we do it, and uh, how they actually strengthen us. And uh, if you're like me, there are times when we looked at some of the subjects, like prayer, listening, worship, uh, and and communion even today. We look at these things and we, we say, yeah, we do them all the time. But do we understand why we do them? And uh, it, it's, it's been a really good series for me because it's challenged me to think through uh, what exactly it is that God has been doing with us, where he's leading us, and where some of these things that we adopt personally and corporately uh, strengthen us and encourage us for the future. And just like roots, uh, I think it was Brian Carney who shared several weeks ago, he said, you know, roots are, are not seen. They, they go deep under the ground. They nourish uh, they nourish the tree, but they also nourish the soil around it, right? Without roots, there would be no trees. Without the roots of our faith, faith would be weak if not non-existent. So uh, it is with that that I want to come this morning to talk about something that I think is one of the greatest strengths of Forestbrook, and that is the table. Um, I remember 13 years ago when I was being interviewed here at Forestbrook, and uh, I asked the elders uh, at the time, and I said, what is one of your greatest strengths? And I remember several of them said that we do communion every week. And I thought that was weird, because I came from a church where communion was very restrictive. It was, uh, you, you had to be an ordained minister to, uh, to offer communion. Um, and you had to be a baptized believer to take communion. And so I I kept on asking more and more questions about it. I said, well, tell me a little bit more. Why why is this so important? And as I start to learn and I start to understand what it is that we value about these elements, uh, the richness of what Jesus is, the richness of who Jesus is and what he does in our life starts to bloom. And I really hope, and this has been my prayer this morning, that this morning you would see communion in a way that maybe you haven't seen, or, or maybe you understand it, and for, for, for this morning, it just continues to take you on that richness of that journey that Jesus has been leading you on. Because there is certainly something to be said about the bread and the cup. And I pray this morning that God will speak to us through His Word uh, and through our interaction. So would you join with me in prayer? as we uh, kick this off. Lord Jesus, we are yours. And your word says to us that nothing can ever change that. We bless you and we thank you for how your spirit infuses and animates the things that we do and the lives that we live. I pray that as we continue in your word, as we continue to worship you, that Holy Spirit, you would continue to encourage us to keep us on that path that you've called us. Father, I know that we live in a world that is in a little bit of a mess. So I pray this morning that you would help us to hear the true calling of what it is and that you're doing in this world and what you want to do through us. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you invigorate our spirits, that you would attune our ears to hear things that maybe we've heard over and over and over again but never have really got it. Father, this morning, I want to pray against distractions. I want to pray against devices that are there set against us, set against your work. I want to pray those things in the name of Jesus that those things would not affect the going out of your word. I pray, Father, that the work that you do here in this place would also not be affected by this world by our selfishness, and by the enemy as we leave this place. And God, I pray that our communities, our homes, our schools would have been better for it because we chose to stand in that identity of who you who you've called us and made us out to be. So God, we bless you this morning, and I thank you that we're able to come to the table and look at what it is that you say. We bless you for all that it is that you do. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, we're going to be looking at three different passages. Uh, we're going to be looking first in Matthew chapter 26. If you don't have your Bibles, it's, it is up there on the screen. Um, in order for us to get a better idea of what communion in the Lord's table is about, I, I want to suggest that we have to look at several of the passages that speak about communion. I think it's like if we, look at, if we look at puzzle pieces, and in each one of those puzzle pieces, there's a key element, but they don't make up the whole picture. And when we start to look at all the places where communion is spoken about, especially when the the gospel writers and the disciples start to talk about their first or their last supper experience, we get some really great clues. And my hope is that this morning, by piecing these together, we get to see what Jesus was actually trying to do and what Jesus is still trying to do today. So the first passage I want to draw you to is Matthew chapter 26. And right off at verse 17, he's, uh, he's been anointed and uh, he's, he's now getting to a place where he's winding down his earthly ministry. And in Matthew chapter 26, verse 17, I just wanna pause there after we finish reading this. It says this, on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Um, communion is an act. The Lord's Supper is an act that Jesus chose to have that was tied to Israel's history. If you remember, it's for those of you who children who, who remember or adults too. I love the movie Prince of Egypt. If you've watched that or if you read through the Exodus story, you know what's happened in the Passover. Um, God and Pharaoh have kind of been going at it. And, uh, you know, Pharaoh's like hardened heart and he doesn't want to give up the people because Israel is, is they're under slavery. And, uh, God looks upon them and says, you know, you're, you're, you're really messing up my people here. And so God says, I'm going to do things to kind of loosen your grip on them. And, and he does like 10 things. And the ninth thing he's, he still hasn't loosened the grip. And God says to, to Moses, he says, this is what's going to happen, right? I'm, I'm paraphrasing the story, but those of you who remember this, you, you remember this, right? He, he says to him, look, he goes, tell the people to be prepared. Bake bread without using yeast. And one of the reasons they said, he said that was because your freedom could come at any moment. You can't wait till the, till the bread rises. It's got to be quick. So be ready quickly. And then he says, take, uh, t- take an animal. It's got to be a young animal. It's got to be firstborn. And kill that animal. And if, you're, if your neighbors can't afford the animal, make sure you share. But take the blood of that animal and, and put it on the doorposts. And I will pass through Israel, or Egypt this, this evening. And, and those who don't have it, I will take their families firstborn. And this was God and Pharaoh finally going. And this is the knockout punch uh, that God delivers to Pharaoh. And, and you, you remember this, the scene from the Exodus, where Pharaoh finally says, you know what, get out, take your people and go. Right? And Israel, uh, after many, many years of slavery, have their freedom. They have their freedom. And, uh, and they're, they're told in the book of Exodus that they are to celebrate this as a marking of who they are as a people, right? It's like you, you're God, what God is doing is he's saying, look, I'm not just freeing you because you're enslaved. He's saying, I, you're meant to do something for me. You're meant to be doing something with me. I, my presence with you is hindered when you are under enslavement. And so God says, I'm going to rescue you and pull you out so that my presence can be amongst you so that you can do the thing that I want you to do. And if you remember the story of Genesis all the way through Exodus, God starts to call a people to himself, right? And what's that call? That Israel would be a light to the nations. Well, you can't be a light to the nations when someone's blocking the the entranceway to the light. You can't be a light to the nations when your life and the life of your people are being throttled by something, a force that is holding you. And so God, in his Amazing power delivers Egypt or delivers Israel from Egypt. And that's what Israel are to remember. Jewish people to this day still celebrate the Passover, it's one of the most uh, important uh, celebrations uh, of, of their culture and their history. And what Jesus is doing here in Matthew is and this is the crazy thing about all of these gospel writers, they have no idea what's about to happen. For them it's just another passover meal it's just something that we do because we're jewish and jesus this time it's recorded says to them uh, or, or matthew records that it's the passover feast and jesus is setting it up because he's going to be drawing some parallels to what's actually happening in in israel's history and this is very key for us to understand this because because you might not be jewish but your heritage now in Jesus is connected to God's deliverance of, uh, of his people in Israel or in Egypt. And so Jesus, uh, so Matthew gives us this idea that this is what's actually happening. And so uh, they're, they're preparing the, the, this feast that they're supposed to have uh, happen. And this is the passage that many of you are probably very familiar with. If you go down to verse 26... Uh, you know we're skipping a lot of the conversation and stuff that that Jesus has this is when the focus on the elements starts to get real so verse 26 reading all the way to verse 28 says this while they were eating Jesus took bread gave thanks and broke it and he gave it to the disciples saying take and eat this is my body then he took the cup gave thanks and offered it to them saying drink from it all of you this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins what jesus is doing here he's saying look what god provided you in freedom from slavery i'm about to provide you freedom from sin they didn't know this at the time and just like a lot of things i bet you they were confused if you read some of the gospel uh, accounts of this table it, it actually says the writer says they had no idea what jesus was saying But now when you look back at it, you realize the Israel Israel freedom from Egypt is very much like our situation from sin. And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying the same way, those same elements that God provided for you. God provided your human need for food by saying, hey, you know what? Prepare prepare bread. You're going to need it for this journey. Take something, take an animal and kill it because I will pass over it because I'm going to bring you out of it. That bread is what Jesus is saying, now you can find your sustenance in me. All this time, Jesus has been saying, I'm the bread of life, I'm the bread of life, and here he is sitting with a loaf of bread, uh, and and he breaks it, and he says to them, this is a representation of me sustaining you for your needs. And this blood that I'm I'm, I'm about to spill, or this cup that we're about to drink, is, is the deal that God has made to make you and him in relationship with one another god is bringing you out god is going to bring you out of sin and he's going to free you up from all of the things that sin does and sin has over you so that you can do the things that i need you to do that's what this represents see i'm not sure they understood that right off the bat because to them it was just like this is a great passover meal right and then the next few instances we we know from uh, from reading it uh, jesus goes to the cross And so when we come to the table, what we see are these physical elements of things that Jesus uses and symbolizes and says, in these elements, you will find your sustenance in me. In this blood, you will find this new covenant. It's another way of saying it's a new life that God has given you. So the question is, as as we read the Old Testament story and as we see the story of Jesus, we read that God is actually drawing people to himself. And these symbols are meant to be uh, reminders to us that God is continually drawing us to himself. I I remarked about, uh, I was remarking about this when I was thinking about how do you illustrate this. And um, I was asking the Lord, I said, so how did you expect the Israelites to live now that they'd been freed? And uh, there are two illustrations that came to mind, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna share both of them. Um, the Raptors, any, any Raptor fans here? Yeah, uh, yeah, one's laughing over there, cause uh, yeah, lucky man gets to see these things uh, right up front. Um, well, I, I have to admit, I'm not, I'm not the biggest Raptors fan, some may say I'm not even a fan at all, right? Um, I know, boo. Uh, go Lakers, um, just kidding. Sorry, was that, was that recorded? Yeah, good, good. I'm just kidding. But you know what? I couldn't help but notice uh when I was with my family and the Raptors won. My my family are, are incredibly loyal uh Toronto sports fans. And when the Raptors won, my my dad doesn't even play basketball, watch basketball, or anything like that, but it was the finals, so it didn't really matter. So buy the shirts, buy the hats, whatever, right? And you become a fan, right? Absolutely, right? And what happened in Toronto right after, it was like raptor mania, right? Like people showed their celebration, their excitement for a team that really were the underdogs and they, they won, right? And it was like, here we go, this is our new identity. For the next year, we are the champions. And that will never be gone from us ever again. And we lived that out. Some people just wore that shirt for like days and days and days and, days and never washed it, you know? And it's like, this is, I'm going to live this out for as long as I possibly can, right? And that's what it means to celebrate that freedom. It's like, what do you do when you have freedom now? You display it. The other illustration I was thinking about is uh, I was going to talk about Gary Cameron. He's not here, so I can talk about him. Um, how do we know Gary's Scottish, anybody? Yeah, his accent, you just have to listen to him talk and you realize he's not from around here, right? But there's another thing about Gary that he does that wears his Scottish really proud. I don't know if that even makes sense, but you know what I mean? At any of the major events that needs a dress up, right? Like when people come up in a suit and tie and everything like that, if you've seen Gary, what does he come in? a kilt right he comes with his family crest he's proud of it he wears it and he's like yeah whatever you know what this is who i am this is my this is my heritage and he he's happy to tell people about it he's happy to share about a lot of the things he he even shows you the really expensive knife that he bought that he puts in his boot but you know and you're like wow this is amazing because you now know a lot about this this culture and this heritage right so there's two things that are going on here and this is the thing that god expected israel to do was to celebrate the fact that they were free by living out their freedom, but also to talk about their heritage of who God was and why it was important. And that culminates into the cup and the bread. So this morning, as we break for communion, the scriptures say that Jesus gave thanks and then he broke the bread see it's not just that jesus was giving thanks because oh there was bread he was giving thanks for the fact that the heritage of what he was part of and the heritage of what he was building was an actual reality these elements while very simple are just bread and juice but they point us to the fact that god the sacrifice of his son Jesus brought us into a life of freedom you may have missed that these elements though we take them week in and week out are things that God has given to us to look at and say this is the life that I have been now called to this blood That Jesus spilled is represented in this juice reminds me of the life that I'm called to this bread represents the body of Christ who gave himself up reminding us of the sustenance that he is to us spiritually and physically that's the rich heritage that we face at the table and so my encouragement to you before we come to the table is this let's celebrate Let's give thanks. Let's thank God for all of the things that he's done in our life. But more importantly so, the kind of life that he's given us through Jesus. Because that's what this is meant to be. See, the disciples didn't get it at first because they thought, hey, it's just a regular casual meal. But they would get it. They would get it. And this morning, I pray that we get it. I pray that this comes anew in us. That we see this as a way of life that God has called us into and saying, This is a reminder of who you are and what you're to do. Let's pray. Lord, we bless you. We thank you for your sacrifice. I thank you that in the bread and in the cup, we see the sacrifice of Jesus for us, for the forgiveness of our sins, and for the forgiveness of the things that we uh, are involved in, And, and I thank you that in that reminder, we can now live a life that you've called us to be, living. So we bless you, and I pray that God, as we take this that your Holy Spirit would seal in us the freshness of when we first said yes to you. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've uh, seen that movie before, it's one of my favorites. Um, and uh, that scene, in, in a lot of ways, uh, describes this next passage that... Uh, is talked about with where communion is talked about in in luke if you have your bibles with you luke chapter 22. it's a saying that's etched on our on the edge of our our communion table but here's what jesus says to them in verse 19 of chapter 22 he took bread gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying this is my body given for you do this in remembrance of me. One of the reasons I love that scene is uh, because the critic, and I hope I'm not spoiling the movie for anybody, but it's been out for a very long time. If you haven't seen it already, where have you been, right? Um, But the critic uh, tastes something that's absolutely uh, incredible, and, and what you see about his life after that is that by the symbol of the pen dropping, his, his life of being a, a critic or being critical about things that are really unfair changes. Um, and, and it reminded me of what, what Jesus was saying here in this passage in Luke, when he said, do this in remembrance of me. And to a Jewish person, uh, remembering, and we've talked about this on several occasions, it's not just recalling back, because none of you were at the Last Supper. You, you wouldn't have remembered that. So it, it, what exactly is he talking about? And the idea of remembering something, and the reason why Jesus uses these words, is, is very much like what you watched. It's recall to the place and the reality of who you now are. For those of you who are married, you understand this. You wear a wedding ring. It reminds you, or maybe you don't, but you, you get the point, right? You, it reminds you. Okay, my reality is I go home to someone. Someone comes home to me. I belong to someone and someone belongs. You know, you you get it. I see a couple of couples hugging and yeah, okay, knock it off. But you get that, right? It's a reminder of saying, yeah, this is who I now am. And what Jesus was saying to his disciples and what he's saying to us today is remember where you are now. Just like those roots, it's like all these things, all these things that are in Israel's history, all the things that I've done at the cross, these are the the base foundation of who you are. And you grow as a result of it. Now grow in that direction. The cup and the bread are to symbolize the fact that we have new life in Jesus. It symbolizes the fact that we are no longer slaves to sin. It symbolizes the fact that God is present with us because that's what he's done. He paid the price. That's what Matthew means when when he recalls Jesus saying that there was a cup given for the forgiveness of sins. It's meant to be a reminder that, guess what? You now have God living within you. Live like it. Um, There's this book I've been uh, waiting to get, and uh, it it hasn't come out yet by an author named Alan Harsh. Um, one of my favorite authors uh, of late he says this as astonishing as forgiveness of personal sins is God has done even more than that in the incarnation life death and resurrection of his son Jesus Christ the good news has relevance to every aspect of humanity's brokenness not just personal guilt before God so guess what what we have to remember and recall is our reality isn't that we've just been made right with God. That's important. But as I said before, the reason why God brought Israel out of slavery was not just because, you know, he said, you know, I hate I hate injustice and I'm just going to do this because I have nothing to do. That's not why God did it, although he hates injustice. Is that there's a mission that I have for you, Israel. You are to be a light to the nations. In the same way, when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, what he's saying is, everything that I've done, everything that I've taught you in this life, remember all those things, now go live it. Because that's your reality. If you got your Bibles, uh, turn to John with me. Here's what Jesus says in John's recollection of, uh, of the communion table, of the Last Supper. In John chapter 13, let me get this out of the way. In John chapter 13, verse 14 and 15, John actually gets, he sort of like gives up a lot of picture of of what actually goes on, but he doesn't talk about the actual elements. Here's what Jesus says. When they enter, Jesus washes their feet. And here's what he's saying to his disciples. Verse 14, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. He's not just saying, you know what, go everywhere and just wash people's feet. He's saying for them, everything that I've done in my life, this life of sacrifice, this life of servitude, this life of living oneness with God and acting it out in the world, go and do. And he commemorates that by saying, when you have this meal... Whenever you break bread, whenever you sit with one another, whenever you break bread and you think about who you are as a people, remember that that's what you are called into doing. You are not just made right with God. You have been given a mission by God. So if any of you have read about the history of Christianity, you would probably have come across a Roman emperor by the name of Constantine. In the third century after Jesus' death and resurrection, Constantine was the emperor of Rome. And uh, he was hugely, hugely spiritual, uh, loved to dabble in a lot of different things. Um, and I won't give you the whole history, but there were some, there was some uh, key defining moments in his life where he realized uh, who Jesus was. And he adopted Christianity as his own religion, and he made Christianity a national religion. And one of the things that he did, and I'm not sure whether this was a good thing or a bad thing, it's totally up to debate, is that he brought corporate worship into a normal thing. So before Constantine, churches met in homes. There were no gatherings like this. If people ate and shared about the gospel, if people ate and shared about Jesus, they did it in the comfort of their own homes. You see that right in Acts, right? After Jesus ascends into heaven, the Holy Spirit comes on the people, and what do they do? They start eating with one another. There's a lot of food in the Bible. There's a lot of eating by these people, right? And and so when they eat... They're reminded of the fact that, guess what? Jesus was present with us at the table. So here's what we should do. We should be present in the lives of our neighbors and our community. And as we do that, we're going to say that everywhere we eat, we're inviting Jesus to eat with us. Whatever it is that he's doing, the same way he has met our needs physically and spiritually, we're going to be those agents to meet the needs of our neighbors, our communities, the strangers, physically and spiritually. So what happens in Acts? They start breaking bread, right? They start eating. What happens right after? What does it say? They start giving to each other what they had need. And what happens right after? And and the Lord added to their numbers daily. Guess what? The church went from like this tiny little group of people to like you know? And it was the power of the Holy Spirit as they realized, okay, the last thing we remember Jesus saying to us in this very important meal Do everything that I've given to you to do. I've modeled this for you. Now go do it. And now they're armed with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, the same way we are today. And it's the same voice saying to us, go in the places where you find need. Invite the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit where you are. And see what God does. See, one of the things that I think Constantine did as a disservice was that when he moved the the church, the local home churches, into his throne room, he brought the table into the throne room. So all of a sudden, the Lord's Supper became a very corporate thing. I'm not knocking it, by the way. I'm not saying that how we do it is wrong or anything like that because there are huge elements for us to take away. But what he did in that, he, made it, he started a shift where churches now participated in this sacrament, this very important thing, only at church. Instead of constantly breaking bread at home. Instead of constantly looking at their places where people had need and saying, you know what, how does one invite God into this place? God met me where I was as a sinner. He met my need physically uh, through, through, uh, through his body, right? He, he offered that sacrifice, and through his blood, I now have newness in life. How do I now offer that back up to the places and the people in this world? And if you read through Acts, you see this journey. Of the disciples figuring it out all right we're gonna risk it there are lots of stories about how even Paul when he goes to speak to people and stand up for the gospel he gets absolutely beat up to like to within a measure of dying and he's like great I live awesome let's just keep going at this why because it's hugely important and you see the church grow why because needs are met why because risks are taken in the name of Jesus Why? Because people are met at their lowest. And what it says to, what it says to those people is that when, when we, when Christians, when people who are representatives of Jesus are infused by the power of, of what this table represents, goes there and says, you know what? I don't have the exact answer for you, but the answer that God has given me, I'm giving by being present with you. Let's eat together. Let's hang together. Let's spend time together. That's the call that we have stemming from this table. My challenge to you today is this. We come to the table reminded of the fact that we are guilt-free before God. But we can't just stay there. We can't just stay there. Because we might forget what Jesus is saying to us. I've given you a model. Now go do everything that I've done. This should remind us That our life as the people of the table, as the people of the cross, is that there's a world out there that absolutely needs the communion of Jesus. That there's a world out there, whether you're young or you're old, that there are people in your community that need the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to change and uplift and absolutely transform who they are. That's what this table is meant to represent and to send us out. So whether you're children and you're going to school uh, starting Tuesday and you're not happy about it, I want to challenge you, kids, think about this: In what ways can you start praying for your friends who are in school, who maybe are not having a good time? who maybe are sad because of something. How can you say, God, would you help my friend who's struggling with this? Do those of you who own homes or you have a table in your own house and you have neighbors, some who you probably don't like and others you do. Here's the challenge. In what way can we start opening up our homes and eating with our neighbors, connecting with them at real uh, bottom, real issues? For which, man, we might be so underqualified to to be even speaking to, but we can infuse the presence by our presence because of what Jesus represents and is in us. I challenge you to do that. There might be some of you who are sitting here and saying, you know what, I, I don't have the means or the ways. I challenge you to open up your eyes. I ask God to open up your eyes. We've been doing this thing with Alpha where we've been praying and asking people to start thinking about how you can invite people. Yes, this is a very shameless plug for Alpha. But one of the reasons why Alpha works, and I've seen it, is that we bring people to a table where their physical needs are met by a meal. And for some weird reason, a good meal disarms people. And when we say that this is going to be a conversation about Jesus, people are like, okay, you're feeding me, so I'm fine. I'm going to come talk to you about Jesus. I might not say anything, but I'm going to come listen, but it's a free meal. And you start seeing by week seven, eight, and nine how Jesus and the Holy Spirit start to just rip things apart. And guess what? It had nothing to do with you. Why? You were obedient. You are obedient to see the fact that God issued us this thing and we were obedient to say hey you know what let's come eat together and you watch Jesus absolutely do the thing that he's responsible and good at because you obeyed can you imagine this year if we start to think outside of this table can you imagine this year if we started to take this as the thing that energized us for our mission out there. Because I believe this. I believe this. Every one of you has a mission. Every last one of you. Everyone who's missing in those seats, they have a mission. The bread and the cup, they are reminders of the reality that God has done a work in you. But not just that. He calls you to do that work just like Jesus did. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge your presence in our lives and in the work that you've been doing in this church. Father, I pray that as we go from this place. May the communion elements not just rest here, but may they be fresh and energizing reminders of the reality of who we are. People who have been freed to do your work. People who have been freed to be the presence of God in the places of darkness. People who have been made new so that we may point others to that newness in Jesus. God, I realize that there is probably a lot of fear and there's probably a lot of doubt. There's probably also a lot of, I'm not good enough, God. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that all of those things that have built up around us as as measures to block us from the work that that you want to do in the world, I pray, God, that you would break those down In the name of Jesus, I pray, God, that you would give us new sight, Father. I pray that you would give us new uh, innovation, new creativity, new ways of connecting with people or speaking into situations that your gospel needs to speak into. Father, I pray that most of all, your Holy Spirit would be doing that work in us. God, that we would not be doing it on our own strength. Holy Spirit, remind us that it is only you who has that power And that you freely give it to us. So, Lord, we rely on you and we bless you for that. So, God, I pray for my brothers and sisters as they go. Would you guard them? Would you keep them? And, God, would you give them a fresh understanding and newness of a vision of who you are this very day? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.